Disclaimer. The views, information, or opinions discussed in this UCC podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the UCLA University Catholic Center and its staff. If you have any questions or comments concerning the information, leave a comment below or email us at catholicconvos at gmail.com. the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of community and for this moment that we get to share together to open our hearts and to share the blessings that you provide for us constantly. Though we are far apart, we are closely united as a family, and as children wanting to do your will. How great and wonderful is your church around the world, And how blessed are we to bring our food to the table, so as we feast together under your heavenly gaze. Though there are many reasons why we are divided, we join our hands virtually, though spiritually, so that we may honor you in all the things that we do. Let our hands work to bring about the missions that you have sent your son in this world to do. And may you keep us safe as we grow as disciples in this world. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless up. Okay, so verse of the day today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. If you keep up with the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, this is actually the reading from morning prayer today. And yeah, um, we'll read it, take a minute to reflect on it, and then kind of talk about why it stood out to me um, and why I think it's important um, to highlight on. Um, so Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praised be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation. He comforts us in all our afflictions and thus enables us to comfort those who are in trouble with the same consolation we have received from him. As we have shared much in the suffering of Christ, so through Christ do we share abundantly in his consolation. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the UCC Pod. Woo! Yes. This, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. This should be episode 15, uh, according to my calendar. And I'm super, super excited. As always, I have a wonderful, very special guest. I have met this person just a few months ago, probably during, what was it, June? Yeah, when did we do the first manifest? That was like early June, right? Yeah, that was early June. That was early yep. June. So if it wasn't for manifest i don't think we we would have met and i would have lost the opportunity to see this person filled with the spirit i'm so 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 lucky to have you on this podcast you are an amazing incredible individual you are hecka smart as well we talked about i believe the spacex launch too (laughs) for a bit yeah 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 because you are you talked about you wanted to talk like you are probably NASA guy, like rocket scientists, you are going to build amazing tech in the future. And also you're 
probably going to be a missionary as well just because i don't know all the works that you've done is fantastic so i'm going to let you introduce yourself steven yeah go ahead oh jason you are too kind um howdy folks my name is steven mcnerney and as jason mentioned i got plugged into this community through uh, manifest these virtual college nights that we have been running through college catholics who were introduced by a, a mutual friend of ours um, Eugene Choi, who I served summer missions with two summers ago. Yeah, a little bit about me. I'm from, born and raised in South Texas. I'm from San Antonio, so I'm a Texan boy at heart. Uh, but I go to school. Yeah, Vospers. But I go to school at the University of Maryland in College Park, right outside of D.C., um, where I study aerospace engineering. Um, so yeah, Jason was mentioning I'm a bit of a, a space nerd. I spent the spring semester of this last year co-oping at Johnson Space Center in Houston. So getting like hands-on work with some NASA space hardware. Um, I've also spent two summers, Jason also alluded to this, working as a summer missionary with Life Teen um, Youth Ministry at Camp Covecrest. Uh, obviously this summer looked a little different because of COVID, but we can get into that later. That's a little bit about my background and uh, how I ended up here. So Jason, thank you for having me. For folks at UCLA and all these people who I've never met, you have no idea who I am. Thank you for <laughs> tuning into an episode of a podcast with a dude you've never heard of before. And for my friends who may find out about this later, thank you for tuning into a podcast hosted by a guy you've never heard of before. <laughs> and if you're Eugene, then you know both of us. Yes, let's go, Eugene. Eugene is so amazing. Speaking about backgrounds, I have to ask about your Zoom background right now because I I didn't get a chance to ask you this earlier, which because I was just like, okay, well, Stephen always has amazing, cool backgrounds. The first background I remember you did at the manifest was essentially your college logo yeah. Yeah. because go Terps, roll Terp, baby. Yeah, so roll this terp. one is actually this one is actually a picture I took. Um, in Georgia, working at Camp uh, Covecrest, we're up in the mountains of far north Georgia, and there's a, a peak, like literally a five-minute drive from where camp is down in kind of a little valley, but the nearest peak is the tallest peak kind of in the range that we're situated in. It's called Glassy Mountain. And so on the last night before um, missionaries leave to go home, we go up to Glassy Mountain. It's like a you drive like halfway up the mountain and then it's like a 20 or 30 minute hike the second half of the mountain there's a fire lookout tower up there so you get way way above everything um then we have praise and thanksgiving sing praise and worship um and pray our last night prayer together as a community up there and so i love glassy mountain it's picturesque everywhere you look and so i figured it would make a, a great zoom background so what made you want to do mission you mentioned like a, a camp two summers ago uh, yeah. with Eugene I believe so what was that experience all about because I, I I've always wanted to go on one of those life teen mission events but I've never I've never been to one so yeah so if you know me well I know you're groaning into your into your palms right now because <laughs> I never never miss an opportunity to plug life teen missions and <laughs> so I'm gonna do it here too let's go I I came from a big life teen parish. I grew up in a big life teen parish. And I've had friends almost every year. My parish would send three or four people to do summer missions. And I've just seen them come back so transformed in the way they live community, the way they live under the charisms of the spirit. 
and just the passion that they have for something that we call missionary zeal, even when you're away from camp, like still wanting to live that lifestyle. I really enjoy life team missions because it's not um, your stereotypical mission trip where you go to, you know, a different community for a week and you kind of get to know people and you kind of get to, you know, maybe build a building or, or do some landscaping work or something like that. It's at least a five to six week commitment working in the garden um, of like ministering to teenage souls in the environment of summer camp. And so, yeah, we have Bible studies, we have mass every day, we do adoration, um, we have talks and small groups, but also we have a giant obstacle course that we build every year and a mud what? pit that we go swimming in. We take the kids whitewater rafting. There's sports and an art barn. Um, if you've never seen like priests and sisters getting like super intense in a game of ultimate frisbee, like it's worth your time. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a, a beautiful environment for ministry because we present to these teens that like this is a place to have fun and like in that the lord will reveal himself that you don't need to like just have fun or just be praying like you can do both and those two things go hand in hand and the missionary community is incredible we live um, into a rule of life that's very similar to that of the benedictines Mm. so it very clearly lays out the way that we're going to live our life um, as missionaries and so it prescribes like when we're going to pray and how we're going to pray and um, how our relationships with each other are going to be built and how we're going to use our meal time to glorify God and how we're going to be hospitable to each other and to teens. And it just builds such an intentionally incredible community that I said yes to going back again this summer. Obviously things are really different because of COVID and God willing, I'll probably be back next summer because I just can't get enough. That's amazing. So is the life team missions, uh, summer missions, is that for essentially people in high school and in college could people like me who who will about to be who will graduate soon hopefully god willing um yeah you've got to be a year out of of high school excuse me to be a missionary because the primary apostolate is high school teens mm-hmm. and so it's really hard to i think minister to high school teens if you've literally just graduated you need that kind of experience to to grow to experience college or whatever a year out of high school looks like for you to then have a perspective to be able to turn and be a minister to these teens, um, to be a peer first and foremost, because we're all college age kids. So it's not your youth group that's run by, you know, some boomers. Um, <laughs> there are some older folks that come as full-time missionaries, but even those full-timers can be, you know, a year out of high school. My coordinator this summer he was 20, the same age as, as most of us. Um, he graduated high school, did net for a year, and then did a year of life team missions. And then our oldest full-time missionary was like 28. And so you get a range of folks. But yeah, it's a, a young organization with a lot of energy. Obviously, the full-time staff and those folks are older adults with families, and that's their career is in ministry. But it's a, a really passionate and vibrant ministry. And I think that starts with the the missionaries who build the culture. Have you ever considered throughout this whole process of doing net ministries or doing other missionary work possibly out of out of college? Yeah. Still definitely something that's on my heart, but really having to figure out like what that might look like with uh, the way that my college schedule is set up and 
my opportunities with NASA that I mentioned, it's kind of like the Lord has given me like this job opportunity for a reason, but he's also put this desire for mission on my heart for a reason. And it's a lot of like prayer, but also like actual tangible actions trying to figure out like which of these am I really being called to like in this moment. I could see myself maybe doing a full-time year with Life Team um, when I graduate uh, college. That looks radically different than what like a summer mission period does. I don't know a whole lot about that. I only know like two people who have ever done it, but they're a pretty dope ministry. I have a lot of respect for people who do focus missions. That's not my vibe personally, but I could definitely see myself doing some form of mission work when I graduate for sure. But even then, something that I think is really important to note is like we can be missionaries in the workplace and in the workforce and working at a restaurant or working at NASA or working at a you know, Fortune 500 company. That's something I've really grown in, in trust in recently is that like those places are also a mission field because like there's people who need to be ministered to and need to be reached and need to see young people vibrantly and like authentically living missionary spirituality. Yeah, whenever I hear people have incredible opportunities like you have with NASA or with people from like Google or Facebook or, you know, any of those tech companies or any of the, the other Fortune 500 companies. It's just like, man, it's it's so tempting to not pass pass it up. But like you said, we do need missionaries in working in that field. We do need missionaries working in that company as well. It's like what you do. So two questions I kind of wanted, wanted to ask, ask you. Yeah. In what way do you feel like you want to, I guess, grow yourself career-wise? and be a missionary um how exactly will you make that happen and number two how do you keep that prayer life super active all the time you had an amazing verse of the day so i kind of wanted to ask why did you pick that and everything so yeah um so i'll start with um just a little backstory about the nasa thing just to kind of put that in context um i'm part of this program called pathways and it's a long-term co-op program. So a lot of people get, you know, like a summer internship or um, maybe go co-op for a semester, one-off with a company. You work for them. They pay you. You shake hands and say, like, great, this has been fun. Um, and then you leave. <laughs> the Pathways program is kind of a, it's a grooming process almost for the government, but, like, in a good way, um, <laughs> where if you get accepted to it, you commit to working at least three work tours with the agency. So I've committed that I would work at least two semesters and one summer at NASA in Houston. And the intention of that that program is I work like multiple work tours and really get to learn the culture and the workplace environment of NASA. Um, and NASA really gets to know who I am as a potential employee, um, learning my strengths and my weaknesses, what I'm interested in. And when I graduate, the percentage of people that convert from pathways to full-time positions is like 90 to 95%. Um, so it's a program you go, go into if you have the intention of working for um, that agency long-term. And I'm obviously interested in working for NASA long-term. I've always been interested in space and aerospace. Something that's really important to me is not going to work for like a big defense contractor um, mm. or people who... Um, our big space companies also your Lockheed Martins your Boeings places like that to be part of a team that like is designing these um, craft to to take on new challenges that we've never even considered Um, it's just kind of mind-boggling honestly so yeah that's that's what my career interest is in Um, but there's also always this little voice saying like hey you ever like 
just wanted to go work for the church and like be a missionary. Um, I could totally see myself getting into youth ministry, like working at a parish, something I'm really passionate about. I'm blessed to have grown up with really, really solid youth ministers. And I've gone to college and been in other places where I've seen people who never really had exposure to good ministry. And I'm like, wow, what a difference it makes to have a good um, youth minister in your formative years of middle and high school. What a difference it makes to have like an organized, coherent and vibrant like parish ministry. So I could also totally see myself doing that. The Lord knows, but I sure don't. <laughs> this is factual. Kind of transitioning that not so subtly into the the verse that I picked out. I mentioned that at the very beginning that this verse is from Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three through five is the uh, reading from morning prayer today. If you pray Liturgy of the Hours, um, you were asking me, how do I kind of keep a vibrant prayer life? Like, that's the number one thing. That's something that I picked up serving as a missionary with Life Team. It's something we do every single day we're at camp as we wake up as a community. We pray a holy half, and then we pray morning prayer as a community. And then every night we gather together and pray night prayer as a community. And it's what we call um, our rhythm of prayer. Part of our rule of life is that the... the, the um, beating heartbeat of camp is the rhythmic prayer life of its missionaries. Um, I know I'll snap wow. all day long. It's Let's such a well-written line, but it's also really tangible to me to keep my prayer life like active. It needs to feel rhythmic that every morning and every night at about the same time, like I'm leaning into this prayer of the church. Um, and then from that will flow like my own personal devotion and prayer, but it needs to be rooted in something better than I could have come up with myself. Yeah. And so that was something that kept me rooted going to work when I was working, going to school when I'm going to school and then like being a missionary when I'm a missionary. Yeah. That's one of the really important things for me. Um, and then community is the other important bit, just like people that call you higher, people that call me, um, out of mediocrity and into like living abundance. And so I think that is one of the reasons that this verse stood out to me. The line in the middle, he comforts us in all our afflictions and thus enables us to comfort those who are in trouble with the same consolation we have received from him. Yeah, I love being in community and like wading into the mess of everyday life with my friends. But that the second half of that line really blows your mind if you think about it. We console our friends with the same consolation we have received from him. Saying that like, if I allow the Lord to like comfort me and to console me when I am stressed or angry or I failed a test or I can't make something work or whatever it is, I then like have the peace in my heart to turn around and offer the same consolation to my friends that like in Jesus himself offers. Not some watered down version of it, but like the same consolation. That's nuts if you think about it. And like my friends who are also, you know, devout and like awesomely holy people, they console me with the same consolation of Jesus. Um, and so I think community is a big part of my own faith journey. And yeah, really stood out to me in this verse. Um, and the other reason I picked it was this, the, the ending line of this verse um, is we have shared much in the suffering of Christ. So through Christ, we share abundantly his consolation. Um, right now in our environment, both political and social and um, just like where we are as a people, there is a lot of suffering and we're asked to like share in it and to share in it, not just with each other, but also with Christ. And th there's the same promise that if we share in suffering with each other, then like we will share in consolation with each other. 
which I think is a message that we kind of miss. We either just get the first half and are like, well, this sucks. So we're all just going to like sit here and it's going to suck. Or people are almost too optimistic on the other side of the thing. So they're just like, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. But ignore like the very real presence of suffering. And so, yeah, this line is just really powerful to me that there is suffering and we need to like acknowledge that and admit it and embrace it but also then to not lose hope that in the midst of suffering, like there is consolation to come. So those are my kind of thoughts on this verse. I don't know, obviously we've all read scripture and we all know it speaks to each other in different ways. So I don't know if there's anything that stood out to you. That's kind of what I was getting out of it. No, I really love the fact that you talked about the community aspect. I think what you said is poignantly beautiful. It was amazing. Just the wisdom that I just heard in the last few minutes. Thank you. Thank you for that. I do Thank have you. one clarification because before we talk about the community, actually, that, that's a very broad. You belong to a lot of different communities, but I want to talk about the UMD community. But yeah. before that, I think for clarification, for people that might not be aware of what it is, what is morning and what is night prayer? Morning, night yeah. prayer, holy half. What are those yeah. terms? So yeah. sorry, some of these are just buzzwords that I throw out. So <laughs> holy half is something that we committed to. I committed to praying as a life team missionary. That's something I just now have carried over into my daily life. And it's setting aside intentionally a half an hour of prayer at camp. And when I can, um, like up at school, it's sitting in a chapel, like in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Usually this is, I love praying with music and we can get into that later, but this is a time to have contemplative prayer or reading scripture, reading spiritual readings, things things like that, journaling a ton, just like devote a, a specific amount of time to like diving into your internal relationship with the Father. Um, morning and night prayer is part of something we call Liturgy of the Hours, which is, there's a buzzwordy definition for it, like the universal prayer of the church. Um, it's something that all religious sisters, priests, brothers pray every day, something that any lay Catholic can pray any day. There's a great app. Um, Ivory, and it's gosh, it was written by a couple of really old saints way back <laughs> in the day. Um, but it's it's based off the Psalms. Wow! And you pray. There's like morning prayer, mid morning prayer, noon prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. There's a whole bunch. I pray morning and night prayer, and yeah, you go through a cycle of the Psalms and of readings. Like I mentioned, it's really rhythmic, and so like. Friday's Psalms are solemn and sad. Like you pray Psalm 51, the one that everybody knows is like the the misery. You've taken away my friends. My one companion is darkness. And so we pray that every Friday to kind of reflect on the crucifixion. And the Saturday Psalms are all about waiting and like expectations. And the Sunday Psalms are all very joyful and like exulting in like the resurrection. And so there's like an ebb and a flow to the prayer every day. Um, and if you pray it for long enough, like you really start to like feel the seasons of the church, like as you pray it. And so it's just a way for me to kind of bookend my day in the morning and at night, but also know that like my parish priest down the street, like prayed this this morning and this random like convent of sisters that I like tangentially know out in Illinois, like prayed this this morning <laughs> and literally every religious person in the country of Italy prayed this this morning <laughs> and everywhere in between, like these prayers are being offered um, and these same reflections are being done. So yeah, big fan of that as a form of kind of building in consistent prayer. That is amazing. Do you have something like this at 
UMD? Sadly, we don't, at least not consistent and formal. We used to have some Dominican brothers who would come and give a talk every Monday night, and we'd go pray night prayer with them afterwards, but that was just a really small group of us, and that was once a week. Something I told myself last year after I did summer missions would be go back to Maryland and like convince people to wake up and pray morning prayer with you every day. Didn't really work out like I thought. This year, with classes being virtual, None of my classes are till noon, so I know it's something I'm going to be committing to this semester um, and really kind of hoping to, yeah, build a community. It's something you can recite alone, and I do, obviously, because quarantine, but there's something a lot more profound to doing it in community. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. What's it like there at Maryland? Do you enjoy it? Did you have a role in like your Catholic com- community there? Yeah, UMD, University of Maryland, mascot is the Terrapins, so you'll hear me saying roll turp a lot. That is ironic (laughs) because we are bad at football, and so we just kind of rip off Alabama and then all laugh. Um, (laughs) Yeah, being a, um, a Southern boy, going to school on the East Coast, it was definitely a big culture shock when I get there. Whenever people ask me about it, going to Maryland is one of the best things I've ever done. The story of how I ended up at Maryland was wackadoo. We don't have time to get into that, but it's not where I thought I'd be going is the the long and short of it. Wait, where did you think you were Um, going? Well, at one point, Rice in Houston, Texas, and then I was like this close to going to the University of Oklahoma, but I really wanted to go to Purdue. It was a whole whole thing. But Maryland was always kind of this wild card for me. But as anybody who's been through the college search process goes, you know, you get into places, you get denied at places, you get scholarships from places, and it all kind of falls into place. And so it all kind of fell into place that Maryland was the place I would go. And I wasn't really sure what to expect. I knew like four people in the entire state of Maryland. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) um, I went And it's been such a gift, such a blessing. I love the community of friends that I've built. Um, I love the campus there. I love the the program I'm involved in. And it was big for me to go experience something that's like radically different than the lifestyle I've lived in like South Texas all my life. It was good to do that. I'm glad that I have done it. And I've learned so much about myself and how to interact with people who just have a very different outlook and experience on life than I have. It's also reminded me that Texas is home and Texas is the greatest state in the country. And so that is where I need to spend the rest of my life. Yeah. So to have a a different experience has been good and really fruitful. And I think it's something everybody should do if you have the opportunity to do it. You know, go study abroad, go live in another state, go backpacking through Europe for a couple months, like whatever it is, go do it and have your like worldview radically challenged. And I think that will reveal like what is home to you yeah so maryland specifically we're a big 10 you know big public school oh rest in so peace, we have big all 10. the yeah what a uh, as of the recording of this we have no idea if football's going to be played this season or not but it's looking like no which as i mentioned is okay because we're not great at it <laughs> ohio state is crying though oh, good um <laughs> I, I, I have a couple of friends who go to ohio state i didn't mean that personally guys but Good. Um, Yeah. So, you know, we have all the things that your normal large public institution has. And that's to say we have just about everything you could imagine. We also have the benefit of being literally like 10 minutes from the heart of Washington, D.C., 
which is super cool just from the perspective like there's so many museums to go to and shows to go watch we would just like casually go down to the capitol or the washington monument like on a saturday when we're like let's go into town you know for a lot of people it's like let's go into whatever little you know college town you're in and let's go into town mean let's go to dc oh my Um, god yeah so that's been been super super cool to me things that you know for a lot of us that don't live on the east coast is like wow, like the Washington Monument, like the Capitol, the White House just became like Metro stop number five, Metro stop number seven, whatever it is. So that's been one of the really cool parts of going to Maryland. We have a fairly large, granted, I don't have too much context for what's a large Catholic center and what's a small Catholic center, but what seems to me to be a large Catholic center, given that we're at a secular public institution on the East Coast. It's a great community. We've got our own little building right across the street. So like campus ends here and there's a little road and then like the Catholic Student Center is right across the street. And so I've spent a good number of my waking and sleeping hours while at college in the CSC. Great community. We do a lot of really good things. One of our, our highlights is what we call Wednesday night dinner. It's an event that happens every Wednesday. We have mass at five o'clock in the evening. So in theory, everybody's done with class at that point. And then different folks in the community. So um, neighboring parishes, um, we have a Knights of Columbus Council that comes. Um, Sometimes it's families of students, but we have some community organization that cooks us a a home-cooked dinner that we all can like sit down to as a community after mass and just catch up. We've got a volleyball pit, go play cornhole, just like sit and and chat with people, whatever it is. Yeah, just to have like some very intentional like social time away from doing homework or studying for exams or whatever it is. And that's a huge event for us. The first couple of nights we'll have way upwards of 200, 300 people coming to these Wednesday night dinners. Yeah, and so that's a really, I think, important community event that we run. Obviously, we do the, the things that most Catholic centers have. We have mass, we have Bible studies, we have retreats, we have all sorts of things like that. I think the place we get it right the best is at these Wednesday night dinners. Okay, so the UCC does Thursday night student dinners. Um, oh. I don't know if this is true, so maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but at the same time, oops, if I do, I think it's to mitigate the fact that we have Thirsty Thursdays just wide and like UCLA. So yep. it gets people to come to our place, be like, yeah, we want you to stay away from debauchery and all that right. stuff. And so why yep. not spend the time with us and learn more about your faith, which which has helped me a couple a couple of times. I think it's really fascinating to see how we have similar concepts and it is wonderful to have these dinner events. Do your students cook it as well the food or once or twice a semester, sometimes students will be involved or you know, if we don't have an organization that's coming in, students will be involved, but we have really good involvement with the archdiocese community, um, specifically with some of the like parishes that are in our local area. We are a college Catholic center, but there's parishes also in our town and surrounding us. And so they're really good about being present to us and and helping us out in activities like that. Wow. Um, Were you involved in the student leadership there or? It's kind of confusing right now because of the fact that like I'm in and out of school Mm. because of my co-op work with NASA. But yes, I definitely like am involved to some extent. Last year, we definitely at our Catholic center, and I think it's probably more common than maybe we want to admit, have some issues with groups getting really clickish really fast and new students not feeling um, or not even really having opportunities to get plugged in with leadership opportunities or things like that. 
it was definitely a need that I saw from my year as a, as a freshman transitioning into the CSC that needed to be addressed. And so I ran an event the first couple of weeks of the school year called Freshman Late Night, where we had we built an escape room in our big like meeting area. Oh my had, goodness! Like a scavenger hunt, and then had like opportunities for some of the different ministries and leadership groups to present to these new freshmen like what they do and how they could be involved. Um, and then to have some small group time, just to, like randomly get to know each other, I have some prayer opportunities to also be like, hey, we are a group. It was something I learned from camp that like we can unite around fun times and we can unite around prayer. Like those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, and so I was involved in helping organize that and then some different social events. We had a carnival after mass one night where we did our night mass and then we had like a cotton candy machine and a popcorn machine and we set up a ring toss and some like bottle games and we tried to have a pin the tail on the priest but that one got shot down and <laughs> something about something about sacrilege um, but yes yeah, so i was really involved in the um like events group as a sophomore just trying to to bring some like energy and life into the the community events that we had this year with covid and then with like me going back to work again in the spring i don't really know what it's going to look like but you know, again, the Lord will provide and Amen. I will do the things that I am called to do. I think you mentioned something that is really, really important that groups do tend to be cliquish. And I'm really, really glad that you've addressed that. I think in every organization, you do get to the point where there is a click, whether you like to admit it or not. And I think it's really great that you've set up these events to get to know other members, to allow other members to see that we are one family. We need to look out for the people that may not be heard, that may not yeah. be aware of what's going on. So props to you, man, honestly, for that. Hey, thank you. There are, there are a lot of folks involved in, in making them happen. For sure. Um, but yeah, I think kind of going off of that, we as a church are very, very inclined to, if something works, we just kind of stick with that regardless of what happens. Yeah, I'm definitely not afraid to say like, hey, I know that this works, but let's look at some other options, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to things in the church, not in like a heretical way. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> but especially on a college campus, like we need to go out and like meet people where they are because that's what's going to bring them into our community. That's how we're going to introduce them to the sacraments. And that is how we like bring people into a relationship with Christ is to go first to where they are. No, no, that's a, that's so true. And I think that we tend to lose the people because we don't do proper outreaching. All of us have a have this duty to reach out to people, but it's very comfortable to stay in the same circles, to propagate the same message. But at the same time, that's not what we're, we're called to do as leaders. It's the hardest thing ever to want to make that step because you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of awkwardness. Mm. I think, yeah. I mean, I think Zoom mitigates that because everything's going to be awkward on Zoom. So we just got to just accept that. I, I was just about to say when we ran Manifest, these like virtual nights, you're in a Zoom breakout room with people from across the country who you've literally <laughs> never heard of before. <laughs> and you're also on Zoom, which is awkward even with people you do know. Um, and so that was such a challenge, but such a beautiful thing, I think, to see the way that college leaders from across the country rose up 
to to build this opportunity and then to um, like pour into it, both in prayer and like in our actual actions. A funny glory story that's come out of that. I brought some friends from Maryland to the first manifest night and the second manifest night. And the second manifest night, I also had a couple of friends um, from here in San Antonio that I like went to high school with or, um, you know, was involved in, in ministry in San Antonio with. And one of my San Antonio friends and one of my Maryland friends ended up in the same small group um, when we did manifest. And as they were like telling the stories of how each of them had like heard about this opportunity and come here. One said like my friend Stephen from Maryland brought me here. And the (laughs) other gal said, wait, like Steve and I are friends from high school and they've like kept in touch since manifest happened like two weeks ago. It blows my mind the way that like worlds collided, but also like provided friendship and like community to these two other friends of mine. Like if that's not a glory story of like what getting uncomfortable and making yourself awkward for the Lord can do, then I don't know what is. Wow. Look at you. Matchmaking friendships, matchmaking relationships, matchmaking everybody. Let's go, Steven. <laughs> yeah. I think Manifest is, it's definitely awkward at first, like these intercollegiate Zoom events, but it is very interesting and you kind of get used to it after going to a couple of these. You're just like, oh, I see, I see the similar people. It's just like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, it challenges you to get out of your comfort zone. It does. It does. It totally does. And I mean, that's how we're able to talk. You know, we're able to have like this friendship that's, you know, coming from like Los Angeles all the way to like San Antonio. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, right. Uh-huh. I do want to say as a, as a side note, I think it's the most basic thing ever. But one of my goals in life is to move to Austin. And yes, it's it's such a Californian move, I feel like, right? It's such yeah. a... We refer to Austin as the California of Texas. Like, that is absolutely a stereotype and for good reason that exists. Yes, because everybody wants to move to Austin because it's big, it's... Well, the houses there are cheaper, the food there is great, the barbecue is great. It's like... it's like it's already a city it's it's a a growing city but it's already grown so it's just funny to hear the california perspective of that because austin is like the fifth biggest city in texas and relative to everywhere else in texas it's dumb expensive but yes relative to california like i hear that and that's why i'm i'm gonna move there probably start a family there hopefully but yeah that was just a side note one thing that i did want to ask you before we move on to praise and worship because i think that's a that's a thing that too it's not and it's not a taken in a, sacri- in a sacrilegious way or a heretical way but praise and worship is definitely something that is kind of like a hot topic we've seen this in episode two we've seen this, i've covered this in other episodes as well but yeah, but yeah before we get to on that yeah but before we get on to that what's like the leadership structure like last year we were undergoing a, a restructuring in the leadership team. So mm-hmm. it's still kind of settling in. Something that our campus minister told me when I first like got involved was that Maryland has this tendency to just build like a ministry or a, a um, committee for like everything under the sun. We just keep adding new ministries and new ministries and new ministries because people are passionate about different things and rightly so. But it gets to a point where we're so spread out that people start to be defined by their ministry or start to be defined by their leadership role. But those things never like point back to some greater form of community, kind of like these Wednesday night dinners or like we all go to mass together or we all do like these things together. 
Um, and so then every couple of years we cut back like all these ministries and we shrink way down to like nothing. But then we realize like, wait, now there's no engagement for people. And then we balloon again and then we cut. Um, so right now the way it works is we have a president who happens to be one of my best friends at Maryland who is kind of like the face of the student center. And then I think we have five vice presidents, maybe something like that, um, who kind of are like what you said, different committees. So we have like a vice president for liturgy, um, a vice president for, I don't even know if vice president is their like actual title. I'll be honest. (laughs) Um, Somebody for liturgy, somebody for liturgy, like stewardship, so um, fundraising, alumni outreach, mm. those kind of things. A vice president for... Community life? Community, yeah. They, they all kind of like intersect. Like mm. the men... So last year I was on like the social and events committee. And like the other... Um, I was like the chairperson of that committee. And the other committee that was like under our umbrella of a vice president was like the women's ministry. Mm. But then the men's ministry was under a different vice president. And so... When I say we're kind of settling into things, we're really trying to figure out right now, like, what makes sense. It, um, it, it seems like it's like a family tree. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. Um, <laughs> the goal was for there to be, like, opportunities for interaction between all these different ministries that we wouldn't be, like I mentioned, just really, like, closeted and segmented in this, like, one area, and that's all we do. Yeah, but like I mentioned, we're still kind of trying to, to settle in and, and figure out what works best for for each individual event to be successful, right? Because that's important, but also equally as important is that each of those individual committees and events like adds up to something greater and like points to something greater Um, because if all we do is have like men's ministry pointing like men to social events and then like social events points people to outreach like we're getting there but if we can take like each and every ministry and say plug people into all sorts of different opportunities and then those things collectively point to something like much much greater which is like the mass and then like engaging in catholic community that is what we are trying to do and that's what we're on our way to doing better i think with this new setup that is a fascinating kind of like organizational structure i didn't make it so i'm actually just kind of like assuming why they did what they did (laughs) (laughs) and putting some religious justification on it but really i don't know Gotcha. Well, I think it's it's really fascinating. I, I and I cannot wait to see like the outcome. I think from my point of view, from like a bystander or somebody who doesn't even go to UMD, it's really fascinating what you are all doing currently on social media. You have that kind of contest. I think it's so awesome what you did. It's like, oh yeah, invite friends and um however many invites can have like dinner with priests. The new priest. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That was also an interesting one. I didn't know it was happening till it happened. But we're really being forced to get creative in the times of COVID and how we do ministry. Being very far from Maryland, I haven't really been too involved in those conversations yet. But I'm excited to be getting up there soon. Um, And just like leaning into community, sharing my own experience. I think Life Team and Summer Missions does a lot of things to prepare college students well to go back and be leaders on their campus. So excited to like share what I've learned and like the graces that have been poured out to me this summer. And then to be poured into... um, by my friends um, as well, who are fantastic leaders. Yeah, that, that, that is amazing. You've mentioned something about creativity. You know, whenever I think of 
praise and worship. I think that is a, a creative process that, mm-hmm. you know, what are your thoughts about praise and worship? I think it is the most misunderstood and thus hated for no good reason by people who are on the traditional wing of the church. Mm. And I come out and say this um, with a few caveats. Not all praise and worship music is liturgical. That is should be obvious, but sometimes there is a, a misunderstanding that like we can just go like jam to whatever like Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, Bob like in mass. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> there are some that that fit the mass very very well. I've grown up in high school playing a lot of Matt Marr stuff at mass, playing Matt Marr's mass parts, and I think there is a time and a place for that. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier that sometimes we have to go meet people where they are to bring them into the church to introduce them to the sacraments and then to really get them to engage in the church. And for me, like my golden ticket into the church was through music. I played cello most of my life. And so when I got to high school, I joined our five o'clock life teen mass choir where we were playing more contemporary music. And it was like through those people who were then like would leave mass and like would love being at mass and then would leave and go to life teen afterwards. I'm like, wait, I want the joy that they have. And part of that joy was through the way that they serve by leading music for mass. And so, yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about because it's a big part of my story in the church. But more importantly than that, I think that music is a great way to pray. You look at the Psalms, the original like form of prayer that was written by old testament jews like their prayer was written to be sung to be mm-hmm. prayed through music and so like why can't that be the case today in the year 2020 yeah i look especially at some of these newer worship collectives some of them are older some of them are newer hillsong worship bethel elevation maverick city stephanie gretzinger who i'm crossing my fingers, will be Catholic in the next year. I'm I'm just betting on it now. (laughs) Stephanie Gretzinger is going to be Catholic within a year. Please, Holy Spirit. But yeah, groups like that that are just so led by the Spirit in the way that they write their music and then the way that they perform their music. And I wish that we as a Catholic church would not just kind of like look at that and say like, pshaw, we have Gregorian chant. We don't need that. (laughs) Um, But could like look at this like not new form of prayer, but this like form of prayer that really speaks to um, the experience of being a young person in these days i'm like hey we have gregorian chant and like that's a beautiful thing and we have like praise and worship that can be a beautiful thing too because if, if a form of music can point one person like to the cross or in adoration like if a song can point one person to like gaze into the eyes of the lord in the eucharist then like, it's all worth it. I have strong feelings about people's like, oh, that music is cool, but not in adoration or not in mass. I'm like, I think that good liturgical and like spirit-led music, when appropriately picked by somebody who knows what they're doing when it comes to picking music, can really like invite the Lord into a space and also like manifest his presence like through song and through the power that you feel when a whole community is worshiping together i'm also really just not a huge fan of 1950s like those hymnals that a lot of parishes have that like came out in the 50s or 60s where there's like eight tunes and they just stuffed as much scripture as they could into these like eight tunes and said like this is music i think there's beauty in the lyrics of a song and the musicality of a song and that those two things together offer up a form of prayer and so if you have bad lyrics like the beat can be fire but the lyrics aren't like beneficial to your relationship to the Lord, maybe that's not what you need. Or you can have like 
good lyrics but in a song that just doesn't make any sense musically like as a music person that shuts me down because mm-hmm. there's not as much beauty in the song like if we can put scripture or like your own personal prayer into like beautiful music like well that's that's what choirs of angels sound like baby amen amen i think you really bring up a interesting case in the sense that people try to gatekeep what it means to be a quote-unquote good catholic in the sense of what kind of music that should you should you should listen to i think there's a lot of ways that it is very limiting for you i mean it's, it's indeterminate itself gatekeeping right yeah i understand that people such as myself i'm concerned about you know is it a performance right and that's always right a, and we we have to we have to understand yeah 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 there's definitely mm-hmm. some instances where i'm just in mass and then there the singers going off and i think i definitely mentioned this in episode two i was just like yeah, no, they sound great, but I don't think that's what my focus should be on. But I guess it's at the jurisdiction of the people that are selecting these pieces and everybody must be in a prayerful mood to understand like what is the focus of the mass. I think there's been instances where Oceans was played appropriately and Oceans was played inappropriately. <laughs> I personally just don't like Oceans anymore just because I just hear it so many times. But yeah, I don't know. Gatekeeping a catholic tradition is it just seems too far-fetched to me and yeah you're going to lose these people you're going to lose yeah I, I think this is a and without getting like overly on the hot take spectrum i think this is an issue with a lot of church traditions that sometimes like i think gatekeeping is a great word folks who are really passionate about the latin mass versus like novus ordo mass or mm-hmm. folks who are really passionate about like which direction the priest is facing when he's saying mass like i see where there's beauty in in these differences and i see where there's importance in our traditions but if we're going to debate whether or not a mass is quote-unquote valid or like worth your while because of which direction the, the priest is facing or which song is played while you put your money in the collection basket then we've missed the whole point of the mass which is the moment that heaven becomes earth in the consecration of the Eucharist and then like in taking communion. That is what matters. And yeah, sometimes I think we can lose that focus in debating the the more minor details. Again, if your like worship leader is just going out like giving a rock and roll concert like during communion, like yeah, there's an issue with that. <laughs> but if the question is like, should we play like gather us in or play like something from Hillsong? and you're like very passionately denying that one or the other is appropriate for the mass, then like we've also missed the point. That is true. There is so much misunderstanding about praise and worship. And I hope, I, I do hope we get to this space where we can be, we, we can allow for you know more praise and worship opportunities to happen. We can allow ourselves to transform in terms of the way that we, we do things. Because again, I think yeah. another aspect is that people are worried about us leaning towards Protestantism, right? Mm-hmm. Because, oh my goodness, if you ever have been to like one of those services or a charismatic service, it's yeah. it's so lit. I, I love, I love, yeah, just being there. It's, it's, a, it's a good feeling, but it's way different. It's drastically different from the Catholic Mass, which is beautiful right. and, it's, and it's right. I also think that there is value in seeing how communities gather in these other denominational like christian churches because their community is some of the most tight-knit communities 
And right. what are your thoughts about about that? Do you think that through praise and worship we can create that kind of environment without losing yeah. ourselves to Protestantism? <laughs> yeah, I really think we can. Again, I'll, I'll step on my soapbox here for a second, but I've seen it happen in, in Life Teen Missions. There's this great retreat in December called John 15, and it's for anybody who's ever served as a Life Teen Missionary can come on this retreat. Um, and so last year I went on my first John 15 and there's like 300 people, I kid you not. And you, know, you go on like big retreats or you go to camp and it, there's like a lot of people, but not everybody at a camp or on a retreat like really wants to be there maybe or is really invested like in every moment of prayer and in praise. But when you go on a retreat, that's all like missionaries who have said yes to like giving of a summer to like serve. It hits different. Our last <laughs> night of adoration I had goosebumps at the end of adoration. I just turned to this girl. I had no idea who she was. And we both just hugged and like, thank you so much for like praising with me tonight. Like that was such a gift. We went off like, yeah, I, I still listen to the recording of like the adoration that night. And there's these gals that are hitting harmonies that you can't even like imagine. Oh. You know, we've got our clappers, we've got our foot stompers, we've got, you know, whatever it is. But I listened to that. And I'm like, wow, so everything like this is a big, crazy Protestant service. But all of our focuses were on like Jesus in the Eucharist, like in front of us. And like through that love that we had, like flowed this great night of music and of praise. This is a, a funny side story, but I was at, at camp this summer talking with Ricky Vasquez, who's a big musician, does a lot of, of stuff for Life Teen for Focus, um, tours on his own. And we were talking about Crowder's song, How He Loves, and whether the age-old debate, is it sloppy wet or is it unforeseen? For those of you a, go listen to the song, um, but it's heaven meets earth, either like an unforeseen kiss or like a sloppy wet kiss. Uh, and we were having this conversation, like Crowder's not Catholic, he's Baptist, but we were having conversation about which of those terms better describes what happens in the mass. Because like I just mentioned earlier, like heaven meets earth. Would we describe like heaven meeting earth as a sloppy wet kiss or as an unforeseen kiss? Everybody's going to have their thoughts on that. But we took like what was not written as, as Catholic music, but like the imagery in that invokes something that's really important for us as Catholic, like the most important in the mass. Um, and like we took time to intentionally like pray and discuss like how does this like song remind us of what happens in the mass? And so then like when we're singing it like at mass or in a praise and worship session, like it inherently now like reminds me of what happens in the mass. That's like one example of one song. New Wine by Hillsong. That song is so theologic on fire. <laughs> Most things that Catholics write, I don't think have that level of theological depth. I'll just put that out there. New Wine is a ridiculously great song. Messes me up every time I pray with it. That is where we can take the like energy and the new ageness of what we see as kind of Protestant music that comes out of Protestant circles or this idea of like being charismatic, but like retain the beauty of the Catholic faith in it. Back in the day, like two years ago when it came out, taking communion while singing Reckless Love, like those first couple of weeks, like oof, that hit me right in the heart. Now it's one of those songs where you're like, okay, I've heard that a lot of times. But when you were first getting to know the song, like, tell me it didn't make you want to tear up a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you went to SLS. I did not, but Build My Life is a good song. Yes. They played that for like four days straight. And then afterwards, we played it in, our, in the UCC for like a while. I got so tired of that song, but I will definitely still 
the pray the prayer is so powerful whenever i just pray with that song it's incredible it's like what you what you express yeah if you can unite like the power of that prayer with like the beauty of like encountering the mass like taking the eucharist like yeah, that is how we like retain the beauty of the Catholic Church while acknowledging that like there's a beauty in these other things too. Intentionality is so important and mm. God works in so many people and in so many ways. So I think also a good lesson that we all hopefully learn is that just because somebody isn't Catholic doesn't mean that they are incapable of spreading the truth, the truth like that we all seek to have. So... Yep. We've talked probably about over an hour, which it, it, it didn't even occur to me that that was a fact until I looked at the time just because, no, I was like, I, this is amazing. Um, first of all, so thank you so much for just being an awesome guest, having so many amazing views. There are a lot of Cornon de Cop kernels of truth that you've just, you just dropped the bomb on, on this on this podcast. So I'm just like really, really ecstatic thank you so much for your time here man it's hey i appreciate it this has been a gift yeah this is amazing any last words that you would like to impart on our listeners sure since you're giving me the opportunity um, let's go let me drop on you my favorite verse it's romans fifteen thirteen. may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit that is what we need to today do tomorrow and do always especially in sucky times right now abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit pray into your individual charisms um, lean into the spirit lean into community and like we will get through this together as a church. Another one. The story of St. Lawrence, one of my all-time favorite saints. Homeboy was getting roasted alive, being martyred by being like burned on a grill, on a grate. And he laughed and he said, you can turn me over now. I think I'm done on this side. And then was martyred. <laughs> Absolute OG of a saint. Fantastic dude. Happy feast day. If you didn't know his story already, you should go check it out, my friends. Happy feast day, St. Lawrence. Amazing. Thank Another you. one. Another one. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for just being who you are. And I'm excited to see all the things that you do. If you can send me into space in the next 30 years, let me know, please. I, I think that'd I, be great. You'll be the first to know for sure. Yes. Thank you to the folks at the UCC and to you, Jason, for, for bringing me on. And one more shout out to Manifest and College Catholics for uh, making this relationship possible in the first place. Thank you, Eugene Choi. <laughs> <laughs> Basically what I wanted to say. Thank you, Eugene. We will end as we always do with our closing prayer. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us throughout our lives. We thank you for the gifts of conversation, of knowledge, of wisdom, and of fellowship that you have given to us at the UCC community and of other Catholic centers around this nation. We ask that you bless us in all the days of our lives and bring peace to our homes and communities. Lord, I ask that you continue to help us grow in our knowledge and to cultivate a spirit of learning until we are received in your heavenly embrace. Help us to search for understanding and for truth. May we continue to be scholars in all aspects of our lives, and may we always perform actions that are in accordance with your will. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. St. Lawrence. Pray for us. 
The music used in this episode, First Day of Spring by David Helowitz, License under Creative Commons, and Storybook by Scott Holmes, License under Creative Commons. Our producers for this podcast are Dylan Giannotti and me, Jason Muljani. Special thanks to our guests, Stephen McNerney, and to the UCC podcast team, Chloe Alvis, Dylan Giannotti, Joshua Herring, and Isabella Richards. I couldn't have done this without you all. Thanks for listening.